As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Chelsea have a chance here to take the penalty and Jorginho puts it in. We have a, a team that is ready and we are in a club that is ready and w- wants us to win and, and creates a winning mentality. And you can feel this when you step through the door in, in, in Chelsea training ground and into the club. You can feel this atmosphere. Jorginho to put the Blues in front. 2-1. Chelsea lead. It's straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic, where we discuss all the big blues, news and notes in the company of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. On this week's show, Blades blunted as Chelsea hop, skip and jump their way to another win. We talk TT's backroom staff, reflect on the end of the women's team's long unbeaten run, answer your questions and ask, can Tuchel do it on a cold Thursday night in Barnsley? Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Hey, listener, Matt Davis Adams at the wheel for another ride on the Chelsea Fun Bus. I'm joined by Simon Johnson. Hey, uh. Liam Toomey. Hello. And Dominic Fifield. Morning, Matt. Morning. So, Chelsea made it three wins from four games under Thomas Tuchel on Sunday night as they left a bitterly cold Bramall Lane with all three points after a 2-1 win courtesy of goals from Mason Mount and a Jorginho penalty. means the Blues are now just a point off the top four. Uh, Dom, not exactly judgment day for T2, but a a really difficult test pass nonetheless. I think the last two games have been along those lines, yeah. I mean, it did sort of illustrate how... How strong, in, in, to a certain extent, that the Premier League is that the, the, the bottom club in the division could test Chelsea as much as they did on Sunday, arguably posing a far more stringent test than Spurs had last week, to be honest. But I suppose Sheffield United were a, a team playing with some confidence, finally winning some games, getting the old result going for them, and they, they tested them. And they and, and Chelsea were resilient. They they needed they needed to to maintain their concentration levels in those in those last few minutes I thought Antonio Rudiger with those couple of blocks um and another another stop on I think it was Oliver Burke who, who was wriggling free towards the right of the area as well just needed to be on top of their game um and to see it through but there've been a lot of promising signs in the last few games um 
it's great that he's he's won his first two away matches and that will be stealing confidence, um, giving them a bit more momentum. Ten points out of four matches is a great start. I don't think that the, the team have necessarily hit their straps yet or found that rhythm that he'll want. But, you know, considering where, where Chelsea were when he came in, I think he, he couldn't have asked for a lot more. Simon, this was a, a difficult test, as I said, but also a different one in terms of the way that Sheffield United set up. We've seen teams sit really deep against Tuchel's Chelsea so far, but but that's not what the Blades did on Sunday. Yeah, I, I thought Sheffield United were very good. Totally different attitude and mentality to the three teams Chelsea played thus far. Pressing high up the pitch, playing with the intensity, the complete antithesis to, to the way Tottenham played, particularly in the first half. Uh, really made life uncomfortable for Chelsea. They, they, it was noticeable Jorginho and Kovacic didn't have as much time on the ball. They were pressing sort of mainly in the centre-halves whenever they were in possession. But what was really encouraging, I thought, about Chelsea's performance was this was the same venue where the back end of last season they'd put up such meek resistance in that 3-0 loss. Uh, Lampard sort of memorably really ranted about the lack of voices out there and that was just one of the failings that day. And, and this was the complete opposite. Um, Chelsea by no means at their best. They had to deal with the adversity of that comical own goal. But they came back from it and, and got three points, which I have to say, this is not another dig at Frank Lampard, but I, I do sort of think that if the previous manager was still in charge, I, I can't see Chelsea coming back to, to win that game. Um so 10 points for four games. The top four pitchers looking so much better, healthier now. What a difference just under two weeks makes. It's, uh, it's, it's really positive right now. Certainly is. Um, let's get to some questions from listeners which have come in via Twitter. Samek asks, is Werner getting better? Uh, Liam, you wrote about his performance at Bramall Lane for The Athletic. Yeah, I think we saw, given the way that Sheffield United approached the game, the value that Werner can still have against defences that play a little bit higher up. And yeah, he didn't score. It's now 14 Premier League games without scoring. And he didn't really look like scoring too much against Sheffield United. But his running in behind, the timing of those runs, the speed that he had, was really that Chelsea's only effective counter to what Sheffield United were doing. And there were about four or five times in the game where he caused panic in the Sheffield United defence. And two of them, led to Chelsea's two goals. Uh, so that that seemed like the clear choice for for my piece. And I think after the game, you know, you saw his his post-match interviews. He's he's quite self-deprecating. I think he always interviews and talks really well, Werner. And it's clear that he's he's maybe in his own head when it comes to scoring. But as long as he's offering everything else that he's offering, he can still be valuable to the team and merit his place in the team even on days when he doesn't score. And I think that value was was very much highlighted against Sheffield United. Yeah, it's a classic Toomey piece, that one, by the way. It's got lots of lovely pictures and arrows and, and diagrams and stuff. Uh, if you aren't currently a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up now for just £3.99 a month for the first six months by heading to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod and read Liam's piece. Uh, here's another question. It comes from Mislav, who says the Jorginho Kovacic midfield pairing didn't work as well against Sheffield United. What exactly does Kante have to do to be selected in the starting lineup instead of Jorginho? 
Dom, do you feel maybe that's kind of a fitness issue as much as anything else? Or, the, or is it the fact that Jorginho got there first and, and he's keeping the shirt? No, I think it's fitness, but also horses for courses. Um, I think if, if Conte had been completely fit, fully fit for the Sheffield United game, there was a very, very good chance that he would have started that match. There was a, more of a logic in picking Jorginho for the, the first few fixtures because Chelsea expected to have a monopoly of the ball and he was he was all there to set the, the tempo. So he was the metronomic presence in the middle to, to dictate what they did with that ball. Conte in a against more aggressive opponents, maybe a bit more ambitious opponents, where you know he he might be there to to be the chief interceptor, um, you know, to nick passes off off uh, Sheffield United players. I think yeah, he he that would have been a more natural game to start him in. But he's not. He, he's just got to be careful with him because of the was it the hamstring problem that he's that he's had recently. So in this season, more, more than any other season, you don't want a relapse of a muscular injury he he will be a key player for for Tuchel he said as much he's already said it so it's just a matter of patience as with all of these things it's going to be a matter of patience he's he's a manager head coach who's still assessing what he has what he's inherited basically what he's got at his disposal so we're going to see a level of chopping and changing a level of experimentation I mean the FA Cup tie this week is a case in point on that front. Um, but I have no no concerns about Conte forcing his way back into this team. It's that's an inevitability. What do you think, Simon? Kante and Kovacic, your preferred pairing at the moment? Well, we're, we're opening up that Kovacic um, <laughs> debate, which I, I, I fully threw myself in by confessing after the Tottenham game that in a piece I wrote that I'm not his biggest fan and inevitably got abused <laughs> by, by his fans, even though I was actually praising him. Um, I, I think there's going to be chopping and changing, to be honest, with the midfield. I think it might depend on the opposition. I I, I don't think there are guarantees. Um, I disagree with Dom a little bit there. That, that I Conte... literally just said they will be chopping and changing in the midfield. And that <laughs> for some games, Jorginho will keep the ball, and for other games, Conte will fit in, but, but carry on. <laughs> Are we disagreeing? Or, like, you're, I'm a Kovacic fan and you're not. <laughs> this is like Chelsea Twitter. <laughs> it is a bit, isn't it? <laughs> I think you're one of the readers. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go straight onto one of your pieces now below the line. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I think I remember replying to you. Um, <laughs> no, what I, what, what I was trying to say, Don, before I was so rudely, rudely interrupted, interrupted was <laughs> I, I think Conte does have a bit of a battle to get into this team. Um, yes, I know what Tuchel said in his uh, in his unveiling press conference, but there's nothing like being in control of the shirt or, or sort of getting a head start on the shirt. And I think Georgian and Kovacic, look, I'm not their biggest fans, but they've made a good start in these first four games. And Conte's fitness has been an issue now for a good 18 months. His form has been patchy as well. So I just think if you've got hold of the shirt, it's, it's now up to Conte to sort of try and uh, dislodge them. And there's no doubt that Jorginho and Kovacic do have a bit of an understanding there. And I'm not sure that Conte's ever built that understanding with those two. So it, it's not so much dissing uh, Conte as an individual. I, I think it's also the fact that those two come as a pair. But I am worried, to completely contradict myself, I am worried about that pair as a defensive duo against the better teams. Um, I, I definitely like to see Conte in there when they play someone 
that's a genuine threat and attack. So if he's struggling for minutes at the moment, Liam, you definitely say the same about Hakim Ziyech. Have you got a theory as to why he hasn't featured much so far? And do you think there's going to be pressure on Tuchel to play him in the way that there was seemingly with Havertz and Werner and, and Frank Lampard? Well, I mean, Ziyech wasn't quite as expensive a signing, was he, as as Werner and Havertz? And, and he's not quite as clear a, a long-term pillar of this squad. I think he was a signing brought in who could make an immediate impact. And he did um, before he got injured and his form kind of tailed off. He does face a fight, particularly if Tuchel, you know, sticks with this system because the attacking midfield spots are actually, you know, they've gone down from three to two with wingbacks. So all of those players are facing a bit more competition, particularly now that Werner doesn't seem to be playing as the main striker at all really, under Tuchel. He, he's very much being used off the front. So that's another one of those spots gone. And Mason Mount is playing really well every time he's picked. So it's going to be difficult for, for Ziyech to get back in. But I think part of the reason why Ziyech hasn't played as much is that he was at heightened risk of injury, that he'd been a little bit overexposed in the kind of final weeks of Lampard with the, the schedule as, as frantic as it was. And he was thinking about his physical state as much as anything. Um, so... Given Tuchel's reputation for rotation, I think all of these guys will get chances to impress, but they will need to impress because if they don't, he's got plenty of alternatives to turn to. I just wanted to add one other thing on an unrelated note. Um, I tweeted this out as kind of a half-baked thought during the game, which is how a lot of my tweets happen. Uh, and and with the help of a, a few eagle-eyed Twitter users, I've managed to flesh it out a little bit. So I'm going to make the case for the, the team that finished against Sheffield United being the most representative Chelsea team of modern history. Um, so after Timo Werner comes off and N'Golo Kante comes on, Tuchel has effectively committed to finish the game with an Antonio Conte back three, a Maurizio Sarri midfield three, Frank Lampard's wing-backs, you could argue Petr Cech's recommendation for goalkeeper, and Neil Bath's forwards, as Chelsea Youth very helpfully pointed out. So there was something for everyone in that finishing eleven at Bramall Lane. That's what you call a holistic approach from the club, um, I think we could say. Well, Chelsea will be back in Yorkshire on Thursday of this week. We'll look ahead to the FA Cup type Barnsley later. Next, though, I want to talk backroom staff. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So last week we spoke about Thomas Tuchel's tactics. Uh, in the wake of a piece Simon Amrafa Honigstein wrote for The Athletic, it's worth discussing how the new man and his new existing staff 
are fitting in. Uh, so following Tuchel from Paris were his right-hand man Arno Michels, assistant coach Zolt Leur and video analyst Benny Weber. Uh, retained from Lampard staff, Anthony Barry, who we've spoken about before, came in from Wigan last summer, and Joe Edwards, who was previously in charge of the academy and development sides. Um, Simon, on, on Barry and Edwards first, what, what do you think their long-term futures are? I see that, that Barry actually turned down the chance to manage Fleetwood, didn't he, a couple of weeks ago? And, and from what I saw at Bramall Lane on Sunday, he was very heavily involved in the um, in the decision-making processes during the game. Yeah, I, I, I think he's um, a highly valued uh, member of the old regime, as it were. The impression I got was that uh, Tukul wanted to speak to Barry and, and Edwards before to sort of fine tune their roles to sort of reassure them. And I think that conversation had a big say in Barry staying at Chelsea Football Club because you know, it must have been quite tempting to 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 start a managerial career with Fleetwood or, or certainly go on to that next level. But he's he's made quite a big impact in a short amount of time at, at Chelsea. Um, certainly defensive record has improved and he's a very vocal character, and I think um, Tuchel likes that. It's also a classic um, Chelsea ploy to have some semblance of continuity. Um, they always look to have sort of Chelsea people in around uh, the new man, especially if they're foreign as well and don't know the club that well. And I think that's definitely helped Joe Edwards continue his career at Chelsea. Um, he's also got a very He's held in great regard in terms of the academy too, so I think it's a it, it's a great decision, common sense um, for Tuchel to have two of these guys on board. Liam, the, the Joe Edwards one really interests me because he's obviously there in part because of his link with the academy, but he's already done the under twenty three and the under eighteen jobs. He doesn't want to end up just putting out the training cones, which you felt like Eddie Newton did at, at the end of his time at the club. It, it, he's got to kind of assess what's next for him in his career. It's going to be an interesting couple of months for him, I guess. Yeah, and I, I mean, we're not privy to those internal conversations or at least the details of them in the in the last week or so, but you can only assume that he's been given some pretty solid assurances from Tuchel that um, he's going to have opportunities to grow as a coach and continue his development. And I'm sure he's quite keen to, you know, to broaden his experience and work with another head coach anyway. But it's clear that Edwards is someone that Chelsea really rate. They, I think they were keen to keep him around. Chelsea have a a pretty good track record of developing coaches as well as players through their academy structure. And they've made a long-term investment in Edwards. So it, it makes sense that they as a club would like to to keep him around. And I think um, it's a good sign for him that Tuchel wants to keep him around as well, because it suggests that he will be actively involved and not just kind of on the periphery of, of this new coaching team. So in terms of that new coaching team, I mentioned Arno Michels, that, that he's kind of the right-hand man is what comes across in uh, in Simon and Rafa's piece. He's often referred to as a proper football man, 12 years coaching experience in Germany before he started working with Tuchel. Uh, Weber is the video analysis, former tennis player and low or love, depending on how you want to say it. He's the new boy of the group having joined at PSG in 2018 and, and as the piece explains he's he's been credited with with helping the likes of Mbappe and Neymar become more team focused um Dom must have been relatively important in the negotiations that Tuchel didn't want to bring a massive entourage with him I know that's something that the club are, are not very keen on when they appoint a new manager having to bring in 10 15 
extra staff as well on top of that. Yeah, they've been stung by that in the past when it's come round inevitably to the sacking after 18 months, two years. So yeah, a relatively small team that it, that, that does work. I've got a funny feeling I may have been sitting in front of Benjamin Weber at, at Tottenham last week. I was sitting in front of two Chelsea analysts and they were talking quite animatedly through the the match. I think it was Benjamin Weber who was who was speaking German quite a lot of the time. It was quite quite interesting to. I don't think I'm betraying any confidences because it was it was echoing around a an empty stadium um, at Spurs. But but he was being talked through what had happened quite a lot under the previous regime. So there was an improvement in terms of say the number of passes into the box in the first 20 minutes of that game compared to presumably under Lampard's Chelsea where it was was content almost to listen to his colleague who'd been there before talking him through what the norm had been uh, and then would chip in occasionally with I think he mentioned at one point that that Spurs didn't like the fact that that Timo Werner was dragging one of the centre halves out of, of of the middle and the centre half was really reluctant to go with him so it was it was it was really, really interesting to hear the other key thing, which I relate to the to the guys from from Spurs, was that the young English analyst was was talking about how the energy in that first twenty minutes, half an hour at Spurs was very, very reminiscent of the energy that that, that Chelsea had conjured against Leeds in the game where they they won comfortably and ended up outrunning Leeds and going top of the table, which again I suppose is probably born of confidence as much as anything um they've got a bit more belief about them and I think it would have been an eye-opener for the for, for Weber if if, uh, if he was watching that and and getting this input from from his colleague from you know what what to expect and and what what this team can achieve and then he will be able to tweak that and and go down and, and tell because he left early he left about five ten minutes before half time to go and presumably relay what he he'd seen from the from the higher point up the stand to Tuchel and his and his staff at the break. Uh, while we're talking about Spurs, what was your thirty second takeaway from the game? Were, were Chelsea brilliant? Were Spurs absolutely dreadful? Was it somewhere in between? Uh, the, the, the bit about Spurs being dreadful was definitely the case. Uh, that f- first half, I don't think I've ever seen a home team look so unbelievably passive. It was just, it, I mean, there was nothing about them at all. No plan, no urgency, no intent. And Chelsea deserve credit for imposing themselves on the contest. Definitely, they they were by far and away the the most sprightly team. Uh, they won the penalty. Werner again um, eking the penalty out of Eric Dyer. But I was I was watching that thinking um, that you know Chelsea obviously the more dominant team here that, that they deserve to win this match. But it felt a bit like the League Cup tie between the sides, in as much as Chelsea had. Created lots of chances, a lot of them half chances, admittedly, but good opportunities here and there. Spurs were doing nothing. And you just thought, why this profligacy that was afflicting Chelsea, it, it was going to come back to to haunt them. And sure enough, Spurs create one chance of any real note in the entire evening. And it's Vinicius's header uh, late on, which in all honesty, he should score. And if... If it's 1-1, then you come away from that with a completely different feel to the whole occasion. Chelsea were the dominant team. They deserved to win, but they needed to be more ruthless. And that was the, the, the takeaway, really, from Tuchel post-match. He, 
you know, we we can't be dominating games like this and only be winning them one nil. We should be putting these these teams to to the sword, and and really it should have been as a as a derby as a contest. It should have been done by half time. I think the 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 one thing we we need to point out here though is that there is a big difference already emerging in that I think Thomas Tuchel is still is very much hands on compared to Frank Lampard. Like he, by all accounts, he's very much the domineering force of 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 the group. So yes, he has this backroom staff, but unlike the previous regime, where I think I think Lampard took a a bit of a back seat during the week um, before perhaps taking the sort of final session and really sort of trying to lead the way a bit more tactically. Lampard did sort of seem to um, allow Jody Morris and, and Joe Edwards. And then when Barry came on to sort of take sessions, I think Tuchel's very much always on the pitch, always sort of barking out orders, always talking to his players. I, I think there's a bit more, um, this is not a criticism of Lampard. This is just the way Tuchel likes to do things. I think he's very much hands-on, he wants to be the voice that the players hear at all times. So I think that's one of the key differences already in the in the two weeks that's, that's um, taken place since Lampard left. Interesting stuff. Right, Tuchel and the gang have a new challenge to prepare for. We'll have a quick look at the midweek cup type Barnsley next. Chelsea visit Oakwell for the first time since Avram Grant's Blues were humbled there by Barnsley at the quarter-final stage of the FA Cup in 2008. This time the prize on offer is a place in the last eight of this season's competition. Second time the Blues and the Tykes have met this term with Chelsea having won 6-0 in a League Cup tie at the bridge back in September. Uh, Kai Havertz, remember him? He scored a hat-trick in that game. He's only scored against Southampton and Morecambe since. Liam, you're our Havertz correspondent. Have you written off this season in terms of him turning a corner? Do you think it's just going going to be a case of, of getting a decent pre-season behind him and hopefully we see the best of him next term? Um, no, I think there's still time this season for him to show more flashes of what he's capable of. If Tuchel sticks with the same system he's gone with in the first four games, it's one that potentially could suit Havertz as well as Werner, playing just off the main front man with slightly fewer defensive responsibilities and being able to focus his game a little bit more on the final third. So, yeah, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that we see a little bit more of the real Kai Havertz between now uh, and the end of the season. But it's clear that that's pretty much as far as the as far as far the the expectation should go, really. I don't think we're going to see, you know, the consistent best version of, of Havertz. I think Tuchel will be wanting to see progress from him. And then, as you say, getting a proper pre-season a real turnaround, a bit more familiarity with with this team um, and with the tactical structure and then hoping that he'll be able to hit the ground running next year. In the meantime, he could have, depending on what team Tuchel picks, the potential to cement his reputation as scourge of Barnsley. Uh, so, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk team selections in a second. First though, Dom, I want to have a Thought on Andreas Christensen. Thiago Silva's not going to be fit for this game. Christensen might well play in the middle of a back three as he did when he came on against Spurs and did at Sheffield United. I feel like this is a really important period in his Chelsea career. And if he doesn't impress during this time, then it might be seen as, as he could be somebody who is dispensable in the summer, maybe, depending on how Fakayo Tomori gets on at AC Miller. Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, he's Christensen has worked and excelled in this formation before, he, he was a, a key member in that second season under Conte in three at the back. 
I almost feel as if the real test of of Christensen will be whether he can adapt that to to fit into a four. And there's got to be a chance. There's, there's got to be a chance that the Barnsley game is an opportunity for Chelsea to try four. So does he does he have a natural place in in that selection in that lineup? Um, I'd, I'd say he probably needs to be. He probably needs to to work on that more. Um, he, he's had some. He's had some great periods, or some really, really promising periods in his his Chelsea career. He's probably never really kicked on and, and become the player that that Chelsea hoped he might have done. But he's still going to have a a really good career, you know, whether it's long term at Chelsea or not. I, he he just feels a bit back uppy to me, um, and 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 he will be that would that would frustrate him, I would imagine. So, again, each transfer window, each summer in particular, is going to is going to throw up options potentially for him or, or or decisions for him to make and for Chelsea to make. I still think that there's work to be done at centre half at Chelsea. Zuma's had his moments this season, but dropped out of the the reckoning now. Thiago Silva has been brilliant, but is in the twilight of his career and and we've had a reminder of that now with a what looked a, a nasty thigh muscle injury picked up at Spurs um it'll be very interesting to see how long it takes a, a player who's that old to recover from a, a problem like that Rudiger can be rugged he can be effective he can also he can also be error prone and we saw every every aspect of 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 his his capabilities at Bramall Lane, really. Let's be honest. It just feels as if Chelsea Chelsea need an upgrade brought in, probably from outside. And when that happens, then the likes of Christensen will would inevitably have to start considering what where that leaves them and in the pecking order, and, and whether it might be better for them to go somewhere else. We'll see if he gets a start on Thursday. Simon, Toby Noakes asks, what changes do you expect Tuchel to make for Barnsley? Do you think the likes of Zuma and Gilmore will get a chance to impress? I guess for Billy in particular, this is a really important game. Having not gone out on loan, this is going to be his best chance of, of getting some minutes for a while, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And and yeah, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't start, particularly after Tuchel apparently sort of assured Gilmore that he would be getting game time. Um, I, I must admit, I understand why Tuchel wants Gilmore around in case there's injuries to his midfielders, but for Gilmore himself, I'm I'm a bit bit concerned that he's not going to get that much many games um, for the rest of the season, um, because one would imagine if Chelsea get through Barnsley and they start facing tougher opposition, the FA Cup will will Tuchel be quite as willing to make lots of changes to his team? I'm not sure, given it's the most realistic trophy uh, Chelsea can win. But I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Gilmore play and I'm sure he's going to be wanting to make impression. He really wanted and was, was really considering and pushing for a loan. He's increasingly becoming a, alarmed about this Scotland place at the European Championships. And you can understand why under Frank Lampard he may have considered staying, although I'm led to believe that he was going to have a chat with Lampard in the week that Lampard was fired about his position. Uh, and you can imagine sort of with a new manager coming in, he's a bit sort of with, no, with one he has no relationship with, that he's a bit alarmed. But clearly there's been some reassurances given. As for other changes, yeah, you can expect to see a lot of the t- players that haven't been involved yet. And there's quite a few of those. And players like Tammy Abraham, who 
will undoubtedly be a little bit concerned about the amount of minutes he's had so far. I'd imagine Emerson might get a run out of left back. He's clearly now third choice um, behind Alonso, who sort of seems to be first choice in Chilwell. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes and uh, maybe Kepa will, will get another chance to show what he can do. On Barnsley, by the way, their game against Derby at the weekend postponed due to a waterlogged pitch at Oakwell. Uh, they've got Palace legend Valerin Ismail in the uh, in the dugout. Had a great start there, but they actually haven't won in their last five, so they're on the slide a little bit. That game kicks off 8pm UK time on Thursday. We'll discuss it in next week's pod. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team put their place in the Conti Cup final for a second straight season after they thrashed West Ham 4-0 in the semi last week. They'll play Bristol City in the final next month. In the league, though, the Blues suffered a shock defeat to Brighton, going down 2-1 at Kings Meadow on Sunday to end their record-breaking 33-game unbeaten run. Handily, though, Man United also suffered a shock home defeat to Reading, so Chelsea stay top of the league on goal difference, though Man City just two points behind after they beat Arsenal. Chelsea play Arsenal on Wednesday. I'm commentating on that, by the way. You can watch it for free and live on the FA Player if you so desire. Uh, Emma Hayes not happy, Liam. She called her team extremely poor after Sunday's game. You'd expect a big response in that match against Arsenal, therefore. Yeah, they are human, it turns out. <laughs> um, I mean, they, they've maintained incredible standards, almost impossible standards, over the past couple of years in the WSL. But every now and then games like this happen. I think Brighton had three shots in the 90 minutes and scored twice and that was enough. And, and Chelsea missed lots of chances and clearly weren't up to their usual standards. And it's, you know, it's inevitable that Emma Hayes, you know, judging by the, the standards that she sets for herself and her team would be pretty harsh in her assessment afterwards. But she's obviously doing that with a view to what she expects to see against Arsenal. And I think this defeat probably makes that game even more mouthwatering now. So this was all in the wake of the the stories linking Emma Hayes with the job at AFC Wimbledon. Don, what did you make of the way that went down and the way it, it was reported? I thought it was fascinating the, the way it was covered, a kind of spotlight on the women's game we haven't seen before. I'll admit I'm a, I'm a bit confused on this one because it seemed to go from a straight news story that Wimbledon are interested in hiring Emma Hayes to this backlash implication that 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 people were were drawing that this was a massive 
step up. I, I, I'm not. I didn't see anyone actually. Well, I, I didn't. Maybe it was written, but I just didn't see it. Anyone actually writing that it was a step up to go from from the the women's Super League to League One. I think it tapped into a, a sort of a, a few issues that are out there. I mean, it's clearly not a step up. Let's be honest. It's it's uh, it's it's it would be groundbreaking in in terms of. Uh, a, a female manager coming into the, the the men's game, but in terms of the quality of of football, certainly the quality of facility, it's not going to be a step up in the slightest to go to from Chelsea to to, to League One with Wimbledon. But I, I, no, I was just interested interested purely from a media point of view that it, it seems to sort of there seems to be this natural. Well, I mean, everybody must be implying that this is a step up. I I, I didn't see evidence that that it was maybe it was out there maybe maybe I just didn't I didn't see it but I, I think people just reported it as a straight thing there is an interest there from Wimbledon to take Emma Hayes I, you know I don't really see why she would take the job she's got she's got things she wants to achieve with 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 Chelsea's women's team well is that really is would that be a benefit to her to, to go and work at Wimbledon with those facilities probably not I was quite surprised that it ended up sort of almost being regarded as an insult touching on to what Don's point, that, yeah, it somehow got construed into something else entirely. When I sort of thought, on the plus side, the fact that Emma Hayes was, she's, she's denied, I think, that there was any sort of real truth in the story. But I just thought for a, a groundbreaking um, scenario of, a, of the potential of a female taking charge of a men's professional team, that that was worthy of some kind of acknowledgement that this was this was even being talked about, whether it is sort of seen as a step up or a step down, I didn't think was part of the conversation. I just thought it was like, wow, for the first time, there's there seemed to be some kind of genuine link that a female coach could take charge of a professional men's team. I didn't think there was an insult in that. I actually thought it was something to be like, oh, excellent. There's actually perhaps the potential here for some attitudes to be changed in men's football. Yeah. I agree with that, and, and and to be fair, I mean, would Emma Hayes, would Emma Hayes know whether there was any truth to it? I mean, it's it's if Wimbledon decided that they that they they think that she might be a good a good candidate for them to pursue, then that's for their board to, you know, to 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 make the decision. And she she may well be blissfully unaware of 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 that. I mean, if they don't make a formal approach, how's she going to know? All I'd add is, uh, I don't think this is going to be the last time that Emma Hayes is is mentioned in boardroom conversations at men's clubs up and down the country, purely by virtue of everything she's achieved and everything she's built with Chelsea women. But if this if this story probably tells us anything, I think it tells us that it's going to have to be a pretty damn attractive job to lure her away from Chelsea women because she's got more power there and more influence over the project than she would have almost anywhere else. Uh, certainly at most top clubs in the men's game, you don't get the level of influence that, that she has. It's it's Fergie or Wenger-like. So, yeah, I'm sure other men's clubs will think about her because she is a manager of that calibre. But they're, they're going to have to put a, a really attractive package in front of her to make her seriously think about it. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch how that unfolds. Uh, in terms of the men's academy and development side, Ed Brand's under-18s made it two wins from two in 2021. They earned a 3-2 success at West Brom. It means they're fifth in the table, 10 points off leaders Crystal Palace, but with two games in hand. Uh, meanwhile, the under-23s twice pegged back away to Arsenal on Friday night, eventually drawing 2-2. That leaves them fourth in the PL2 table. 
And that's just about it for this week. Before we say goodbye, let's see what the chaps have got lined up for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Dom, you were exploring the possibility of a Champions League devoid of London clubs next season, which which seemed a lot more likely at the start of the weekend. Yeah, I mean, that piece has become that. (laughs) It was probably more an illustration of how far the London clubs have have fallen in terms of the title race, really. That's, that's, That's the crux of it. And I think that's been reinforced by what Manchester City did at Liverpool over the weekend, if I'm honest. But look, you look at the you look at the, the teams massing just outside the top four, and it, yeah, and Chelsea, you'd expect to to go on a they're on a run to continue that and to to muscle their way back into contention there. Um, but they're, they're going to have to hope that Leicester uh, endure a, an implosion like they did last season, or that Liverpool's defensive chaos. Is is maintained all that all that Manchester United slip up and they they didn't do that last season so it will be interesting to see how that goes but it was the idea behind the piece was more about the, the title race in the, in as much as I was at the Spurs game last week and and if you go back to 2017 those were the top two teams in the country Chelsea and Tottenham and, and let's look how far they've fallen off the out of the title race really in the years since. Uh, Simon, we've spoken about your pieces on Kovacic and the Tuchel backroom stuff. What else are you going to be working on this week? Well, Dom's stolen my thunder a little bit, and not for the first time in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Conte's a great player. I can't believe you hate him. <laughs> yeah, I've never rated him. He's rubbish. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm. I'm. Uh, I think by the time this pod comes out, uh, there will be a piece on Christensen. For me, uh, basically, basically making the same points Tom made. Oh, well, that's a relief in many ways to me. So to be fair. We we agree. We agree. Uh, yeah, no. Um, so, a piece on Christian, um, and also in homage to uh, the superb finish from Tony Rudiger. Um, <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm trying to, uh, with a group effort with the with uh, other athletic employees, to uh, try and sort of um, get other voices about what it's like to score an own goal I've already spoken to the one of the masters of the craft Frank Sinclair um, <laughs> about his his memories um, and I'm hoping to get uh, a few other voices to uh, yeah talk hopefully in good humour about their experiences what it's like to put the ball in their own net <laughs> excellent looking forward to that uh, Liam we mentioned your Timo Werner piece what else have you got in the pipeline yeah, so this week I'll be um, working on a piece looking at Edouard Mendy and kind of zeroing in on certain aspects of his performance within Chelsea's broader defence because I, th- I think, you know, as as much as it was primarily Rudiger's mistake for the goal against Sheffield United, I think there's been a, a sort of bit of a pattern with, with Mendy and, and his when he decides to come rushing out of goal, uh, which I think merits being looked at a little bit more closely. Um, yeah, and the other piece I'm working on towards the end of the week is uh, trying to talk to people who are familiar with Thomas Tuchel during his abbreviated playing days, uh, which should require some some conversations, hopefully not in German, because my German is non-existent. After all those trips to Meridorf, your German is non-existent. <laughs> 
Uh, excellent. Uh, remember, if you aren't currently a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up now for just £3.99 a month for the first six months by heading to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. Many thanks to Simon, Liam, Dom for their company and to the debuting producer, Lucy. Mainly to you, though, listener. We'll be here a day later than usual next week because Chelsea are playing Newcastle on Monday night. We'll see you then. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.